you give them too many times to drop out of your customer journey, they will, and they may use it as an excuse even to not purchase it. Welcome to the Ecom Chats Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Mike Martis, Director of Marketing at Finch. And I'm Nevin Zavell, e-commerce product specialist at Finch. And it is a very snowy Friday <laughs> over yes. here in Salt Lake. Snowy in Salt Lake, snowy in Chicago. America in general is experiencing some of the worst weather of the year right now. Cold fronts, snow. Worst weather for y'all. I'm I'm loving it. Okay, I've been able to <laughs> yeah, sneak you, up you to Alta it. twice. They got 48 inches and it was just 16 inches of just pure powder overrides all survival instinct and you're just sending it off of anything high enough to cause serious bodily harm (laughs) (laughs) it reminds me when i lived in san diego when storm fronts would surge in which didn't happen very often but when they did man if it even acts like it's gonna try to rain in san diego people freak out but everyone except for the surfers the surfers love it dude They, they go down and catch those tubes uh they're out there in the water when all of the authorities are saying don't get in the water <laughs> but yeah it's pretty good anyway hey this is your podcast where we wind down each week by cracking open a cold drink and talking some shop on e-commerce and i wanted to jump into something here nevin that that's kind of should be i think front and center for all all dtc brands all e-commerce shops i need to be thinking about this and having a plan about how they're going to attack 2024 based on the customer life cycle right? Or the customer journey It's referred mm-hmm. to as a few different things, but essentially what that means, right? And I'm looking at there, there's documentation about customer journeys, customer life cycles all over the place. Uh, I'm specifically going to talk about one blog that Shopify published talking about it, but you can find these all over the place. And there are B2B customer life cycle journeys. There are D2C, there's all kinds of them, but the specifically what we want to talk about has five main, the kind of five main stages you want to think about when you start to think about the customer life cycle or the customer journey, that's awareness, consideration, acquisition, service, and loyalty. And this is basically when you think about it, that those are a lot of big words to just string together. But when you think about it, what it really is, is taking a person who is shopping online, or maybe they're not even shopping online, but they look like someone who would be one of your customers adding them to your acquisition funnel, that's the awareness stage, getting them into consideration, which is giving them the thing, the documentation, the things they need in order to make a decision on whether they want your your product or not. Then there's acquisition where they actually convert, right? And then there's service, which is what what do you offer in a post-purchase world whenever people want to return something, whenever they have a problem with their product, whenever they have questions about the product. And then you have loyalty, which is bringing those people back to buy more stuff later. I mean, top down, that's kind of what it is. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Nevin, anything to add there? The Shopify blog here really does is it provides a really good standardized model for the customer journey and the customer life cycle as they go through your marketing process. It's kind of weird to say this as a marketer, but I'm definitely a little bit more skewed towards like the first half of that marketing funnel of the awareness, consideration, and acquisition phase is what makes good companies, successful companies. In my opinion, it's those last two that turn good companies to great companies, where having the investing in the infrastructure long-term for after the purchase is made is what drives some of the most potent and some of the most popular brands that you're seeing today. And that's one that I like to index into because you know a, a talented marketer can get that first half of the customer journey 
up front can deliver those results. However, it really takes a, a good brand to be able to carry that through kind of like the follow through on a golf swing, right? Where it's, that's what really makes it count. And that's where I, you know, I, I'd like to definitely focus on, but overall, I think the Shopify model is a really, really kind of good standard model of what a customer will go through as they're looking to buy your product. So most agencies you work with are going to focus on those first three parts of the funnel, awareness, consideration, and acquisition, right? They're going to make, they're going to fill up your funnel, make people aware that you exist. So you're thinking branding exercises, targeting lookalike audiences, retargeting them, making sure that you're in front of the right people. Consideration, meaning uh, bringing them onto your website. Now they're on your website. They're looking through content. They're looking at product specs. They're looking at maybe their comparison shopping, right? That's part of the consideration phase. And you should consider that that's what they're going to be doing. And, and a lot of this is kind of psychological getting into the headspace of an online shopper. And, and a lot of times nowadays, really what you need to do is self-monitor everybody online shops nowadays. And if you're working in the D2C, I guarantee you're, you're online shopping, right? So think about what you do when you go and you, and you go shopping, right? Unless you are in the loyalty phase of, of a specific brand where you know you love that product because you've tried a bunch of other ones and this is the best one for you, you're just gonna go right back to that website, that website buy it again, right? Unless you're in that phase, you're probably doing, a, you're probably putting yourself unknowingly through a lot, uh, through all of these stages. But like I said, most agencies in the D2C space that you're gonna work with are gonna have probably a really good program for those first three stages of the customer journey, all the way up to acquisition. The really, really great ones that you're gonna work with are gonna cover the, 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 the final two, right? Which is gonna be your service, which is really hard for an agency to help with, but they can, they can at least consult with you about what, what a good service program looks like, right? And there are some low hanging fruit you can, you can really identify and knock out. And then they're going to they're going to be loyalty programs, right? So these range all over the place, and we'll talk about a little bit about them in a, in a bit. But things like you know post purchase emails to sign up for a VIP program that gets you monthly discounts or special product offers, or maybe you get access to product releases before the general public does. You know these kinds of things. That's what we mean when we talk about loyalty. Those are the kinds of things that'll bring people back and make them feel special. I think we have lots of episodes talking about that specific idea making your, your client feel, or uh, making your customers feel special, making them feel like they're getting an experience from you that they can't get from someone else, or it's unlikely they'll get from someone else, right? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. There's a really good stat we need to throw, throw in here just to consider what we're talking, it really backs up what we're talking about here is, this is from the Shopify blog post in there. Basically it says loyal customers only account for about 20% of a brand's audience, right? But they account for almost 45% of the brand's total revenue. And this is on average across the industry. So you can see how much heavier weight the uh, loyal customer kind of bucket uh, should get because they are the ones that are going to kind of be the lifeblood of your brand. Keep coming back to, to, to purchase again, depending on the kind of product you're selling. They may have just recurring orders, right? Like you, there are lots of things where we just put it on a monthly order and set it and forget it because you love the product and you're just going to get it. And then, and then it becomes, well, how do I, how do I add people there? Oh, I do think subscriptions like that are, have definitely changed the game a lot as far as kind of adding automation to, in my opinion, one of the most hands-on part of the, of the customer journey, which is, is the loyalty phase, but being able to set subscriptions and being able to set auto repeats. I know Amazon has 
knocked it out of the park with their subscribe and save options. And I'm seeing a lot more companies that are really trying to focus on ease of customer use and making it easy to be a loyal customer using things like subscriptions and especially discounted subscriptions. So, you know, making it easier just to renew a subscription rather than buying up front. That is, in my opinion, where you're seeing a lot more, I guess, kind of revolutionizing in this in this space because loyalty and building brand loyalty used to be an incredibly difficult process using loyalty programs, SMS, email marketing, really heavy focus on concierge. That, is, I mean, that's still absolutely the case. You want to be making your customers feel very special and you want your customers to feel like they're rewarded by shopping with you. However, having those subscribe options and just letting things just auto run, it reduces that burden a little bit on the brand. You know, I think we'll probably get into this later, but that's where I started to see a lot of success, you know, kind of, again, self-monitoring my own shopping habits. And, you know, I'm an avid online shopper, but that is where I'm really starting to see that 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 burden has been reduced. And you can make you can turn subscription programs for hard goods and physical products into a much more efficient and a much more automated kind of life cycle and loyalty retention program. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into how to measure this because it is really important. I mean, this is a, this is where I'm sure you're going to geek out a little bit, Nevin, but measuring this is a crazy difficult and b crazy important, right? Because you, if you mess it up, you can, you can, that can lead you down the path of bad decisions that make your outcomes worse and worse and worse over time. If you're not measuring it and then able to analyze that information effectively, and I'll give you a really good example, I'll give you a real life example. Speaking of monitoring, monitoring yourself and your, and how you shop and your shopping behavior online over the holidays, I was back home, right? My mom is an avid online shopper. I mean, just nonstop. She loves it. And that doesn't mean she buys a lot of stuff. She shops constantly though. And so when I watch her, I was just kind of paying attention to what she was doing. She, she had a tablet, right? And she was looking at, she was looking through some stuff. I saw her click on a paid search ad and it may have been an Amazon ad. Honestly, I'm not really sure, but she clicked on a product ad, right? It took her to a landing page. She has a bunch of deal pop-up things that she downloads, you know, that she has downloaded onto her browser to make sure that she's getting all the best coupons and deals and stuff. And she was going, she added it to her cart and she was going to go buy it. But then she was like five bucks short of the free shipping threshold, right? But they didn't have on the cart, they didn't have any recommended $5 products, right? That, that could get you to that threshold, right? So mistake number one for this brand, and I don't remember which one it is, but I'm sure that lots of brands suffer from this. So she went to go look herself throughout the site to see if there was like a $5 product she could throw on there and get that free shipping, maybe something she would actually want and use. The lowest pr price product she could find was 20 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever it was. So she was like, no, screw that. I'm, you know, I'll bite the bullet and then get the shipping. But her activity on the site of putting something on the cart, then going back and, and looking for more products that triggered something in the marketing ecosystem of this brand, which did a pop-up of uh, offering her a coupon, like a 10% coupon, right? And so she put her email in, got the coupon in order to verify, she had to verify her email address. So, right. So she pulled out her phone to verify her email address, which then didn't link across to the browser she was using on the tablet, obviously. So she had to log back in just, it, it created a whole ecosystem of lots of drop-off points in that customer journey, right? Like at any point she could have lost, just lost focus and been like, you know what? 
forget about it. She ended up checking out with her 10% coupon and she bought the thing, but the lots of issues with that, right? Like she could have switched over to go, go check her email and gotten, gotten distracted by something else and gone in on something else. She also was already had made the decision. She was going to buy it and pay the shipping. She didn't need that 10% coupon. The brand, that brand just lost the 10% of that sale because they assumed she was getting ready to abandon. Instead of waiting for her to actually abandon, they tried to serve her a coupon right up front that sent her off site, that sent her to her email, that sent her, you know, then she had to go log back in. She's persistent. If I'll give my mom that she's very persistent, she stuck through it and ended up doing the purchase. But you, but I, but I hear it all the time and see it all the time. That's not always the case. A lot of times you, if you give them too many times to drop out of your customer journey, they will, and they may use it as an excuse even to not purchase at that price, but they're putting me through too many hoops and I don't like that. Like, right. So there's too much friction in your process. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one thing where optimization becomes key and you have to have the entire brand aligned behind the goal of making an easy experience for the shopper because shoppers hate friction. At least when I'm going through, I spend so much time in kind of the research phase, but the moment I make my decision that I want to get something, I want that to be as smooth as possible. Because most shoppers, what you have to understand when you're coming to your site, have already probably put in a good amount of work ahead of time. Especially for a higher ticket item, saying this will look a little bit more expensive, something like the electronics categories. Shopper, like the average shopper has already probably put in a good amount of research. They've watched like the YouTube reviews, they've read through the comparison websites, and they've made that decision that they want to buy from you. The moment that you introduce any friction there, you have to understand it's not just adding another five minutes on to like, you know, 15 minute process. You are adding probably five minutes onto a customer that has already probably been looking at this and putting in the work for a while, probably a couple hours or so to try and find this information and try and make the decision to go with your product. If you are not making it a smooth experience throughout, through the landing page, all the way through checkout. And if you're putting, you know, even I think those like early like pop-ups that like you land on the site and it wants to get you into an email or, or SMS funnel on the product page can be dangerous because again, you're just creating friction and it's tough because when you're building an online storefront, you have to build it for multiple situations, right? Someone who just stumbled onto your PDP from a paid search ad and might just be doing research. At that case, yes, you do want to have an SMS funnel or an email funnel. Or you might be getting someone who's already done their research, they want to buy your product. And then those flags and those pop-ups that you know take an extra 15% off might end up creating more friction. So having a landing page that or having a landing page to check out experience that is optimized and flows. If you're providing friction, you want to make sure that that friction is rewarded, right? So if you are throwing up one of those pop-ups to like get into an email list or an SMS list on the product page, make sure that that is attached with a discount that you can use on that purchase and have that discount be applied as automatic as you can make it. Because that acquisition phase is such a precarious place to be. This is why I'm kind of very happy I, I get to work in Amazon because Amazon, I think, nails that smooth start to finish is quite literally, they don't even have a checkout page. 90% of the time, if you're on Amazon, you have your credit card and you hit one button, it's the buy now button, and it does all of the work for you and it is on its way. Yes, I is. think it's dangerous. It, it, it is dangerous. Oh my gosh. No, I've picked up so much stuff that I don't need from Amazon just because it's so easy <laughs> to hit that button. But that is where I think 
it becomes, I think we might be going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here on this one, but I think it's really, really important that the difference between just like a unoptimized Shopify store where it's taking you through a bunch of hoops compared to something like an Amazon marketplace where you were hitting a single button is a massive disparity in revenue between the two because okay. any friction at any point can lose a sale. So least amount of friction, the smoothest experience is always going to be the one that maximizes revenue from all of that inbound work. And it's going to be the one that makes the most efficiency out of all of that advertising spend that you've done to get the customer in there in the first place. To lose all of that work just because you tried to get a little bit greedy and try and get like a pop-up to get an email without any benefits attached to it is ridiculous. So you want to make, yeah. you know, absolutely one, if we're walking away from anything in this is that having that experience and having that smooth customer purchase phase is, is absolutely critical. Yeah. And, and this can, this pops up all, all across, all through the customer journey. There, there are opportunities to screw it up all the way through the customer journey. And it happens a lot and it's going to happen. By the way, you're, no one's ever going to get it perfect. Even, even Amazon loses sales to you know, random customer journey. I mean, it's hard to predict human behavior. That's part of the reason you and I have jobs, Nevin. But <laughs> the, the the thing that we're talking about, the, how important it is to measure the, the customer journey, going back to that story I told about my mom, right? I guarantee you that that brand that she purchased from or the or the agency they're using for, for email attributed at least a portion of that sale to email when in reality, the email was actually a distraction when they emailed that, that discount code, it actually gave, it was actually a distraction. She had already mentally, she'd already decided she was going to buy that. Right. And so giving that distraction a jumping off the site, but I guarantee that that was used at, in, a, in a data cohort to show that for that pop-up discount program is working from an email marketing perspective. Right. And so this is what we're talking about. So a, a few things you need to keep in mind when you're measuring the, the customer journey is you need to get really good at measuring how people use your website and how they navigate from certain sections to other sections. What are the most common paths people take? I say, I usually look at like the top four, three or four common paths people take. And this could be by product, honestly, it should be by product, but at least by product set, right? So you need to look at whenever people purchase this kind of product on my website, the most common, these are the three most common paths they take to purchase and then spend your time obviously optimizing parts of those conversions, the steps of those conversion paths. I mean, a good resource for this that everyone has access to is going to be your GA funnel report, right? Like if you don't have any other advanced tools to do this, Google Analytics funnel report, what will help you get to that, right? And then you want to start to define and analyze your top of the funnel paths, right? So what I just said. So once you've identified them and, and you're starting to measure them, you need to kind of measure key moments in, inside of there. Where are the most common drop-off places? Can you test uh, a theory as to, as to why people are dropping off at that point? and figure out a, a better solution to that, right? Is it that we have too many recommended products along the bottom and they're getting distracting, right? Or maybe the, it could be any number of things. Is this, this pop-up that we have just so happens that we have this pop-up set to come up on the third page of the journey, right? Through our content management CMS, right? It automatically pops up, but it just so happens this is the most common third page along our top customer journey. And therefore, most of our conversions that come through here are going to get that pop-up on this page. Maybe that's not, maybe we need to exclude that page, right? These are the types of things you need to be thinking about. I mean, that's just one example out of literally thousands that could be happening on any given brand's website at any given time. But the, you could give us some insight, Nevin, as to how you go about thinking, you know, thinking about measuring that, that customer journey with clients. 
Yeah. One thing that I think doesn't get enough love, but I think really probably should in this regard is, is post-purchase customer surveys. And it can be tough because it's a sample size that you're getting at just to be aware that as people who are have the time and are willing to fill out that kind of a survey, so you're not going to be getting your entire audience. But you're getting enough of a sample size that you can accurately make assessments of how easy it was to to buy that product. So for example, I'm I'm a huge fan of incentivize everything because nobody does anything for free. What I've seen really successful brands do is offer just like a $5 coupon or a $10 coupon just to fill out a quick survey. And the ones that I find that are, the question that I always find the most insightful is, how easy was it for you to buy from us? And normally, you'll actually see a good amount of feedback there because if somebody had a hiccup in trying to buy a product and it nearly cost them a sale, they'll probably be ticked about it enough just so that they'll let you know. Well, it's like, it's like reviews, right? Like people who had an amazing experience with you are way less likely to actually leave a review than someone who didn't, right? People like to complain on the internet. Yeah. And like, and that's a, and that's a great thing there because like you can, you can really utilize that to find, you know, to find holes really quickly. One other thing that I've been seeing, and I think that this is really important as well is with cookies going away. And a lot more of these platforms vying to take the, you know, take credit for the sale. I think having a proper conversion tracking apparatus and tags set up on your website to not just test primary conversion actions like getting a sale, but to measure things like page depth, how far into the site people are getting how far down people are getting when they're scrolling, you know, and using that uh, tools like Hotjar, for example, for like heat yep. maps on, on cusp sites are fantastic. I have quite a few friends in the user uh, experience space. And one of them is a very, very close friend of mine who works for, um, who works for Autodesk uh, designing their user experience and heat mapping and tracking customer interactions through their platform and being able to, understand how customers are best utilizing their the site through things like heat maps again on the e-commerce side it's more things like hotjar and tools of that nature but you're able to build an understanding of how the customer is interacting and most importantly you're able to avoid bad habits because you are absolutely right it is very very easy to misattribute something within your reporting just because you don't have a camera over everyone's shoulder showing how they're browsing and showing the individual frustration. So you have to kind of make inferences based on the data. But if you're making, you know, if the data is misleading and for example, showing you that like, yeah, this email attribution for this 10% coupon is, is fantastic. When in actuality is just that everybody who's, you know, going through is getting hit with this email. You can start building bad habits and you can start investing in things that are going to hurt you in the long run. You have to go into measuring with a clear head and really, and this is the hardest part about it, because as someone who you know does a lot of work on particular platforms, I recognize that I have a bias to lean into those particular platforms. I am a huge believer in Google Pmax, and yep. But when I'm going in and actually looking at how the customer is going through that journey, I I have to kind of always sit back and remind myself to take a step back and say, like, listen, Pmax is going to a trip is going to massively you know over attribute itself because it is the thing that Google's trying to push and their attribution is very black boxed. 
So we end up using a lot of DSP tracking pixels are huge. UA2 from the trade desk has been a saving grace, especially in kind of the post cookie environment as we're moving into that. But before I kind of end up completely going on a massive tangent about that is that it is important to use either a customized GTM setup or some third-party tool to make sure that you are actively and continuously investigating how your users are interacting through your site and following as best as you can the journey through the website to the checkout page and making your data based on that without bias and without clear uh, without making assumptions because it is incredibly easy in this space to get tripped up and to end up reinforcing negative behaviors that will end up eating away at your brands and uh, eating away at your revenue in the long run. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just, I agree with all that, but I'll, I'll add a couple of things first by measuring your customer journey and specifically your top conversion paths and kind of paying attention to those, what you can end up doing is start making us, you can start making hypotheses about what, are the mechanisms that are accelerating the customer journey to get them to check out, right? And so once you start figuring those out, you can start to test them. And this is a bigger part that I think is a huge part of customer journey, of optimizing for the customer journey. Testing is going to be crazy important because could be a very good idea for some brands to offer a, like a 10% discount at a certain stage of the customer journey, you know, and maybe even put a timer on it. Like this is only good for today or something like that. Right. Stuff like that. Maybe that is an accelerator, but what you, you never want to assume, right. Just because a higher percentage of people who see that 10% discount end up checking out versus, you know, the cohort on the site before we launched it, that's not a good test because it could just be that the parameters that you have on that pop-up to offer the discount are so deep in the customer journey that they've already made the decision to purchase anyway. And so sure, a, a much higher percentage of those people are going to be checking, hitting the checkout and, and, and converting versus the normal cohort of the rest of your site uh, visitors, right? But so you could run a test uh, at the same period of time, send half, you know, only activate that pop-up for half of the for half of the, the the traffic to your site and then compare those directly. And specifically, only compare those who meet the pop-up criteria on both sides of that test, right? And so that's how you want to get down to say, okay, is this pop-up actually helping or not, right? And then if it, if it is or if it is, great. If it's not, right? Or if it's even, even the weirder thing is if it doesn't make any difference at all, you know you can get rid of that and start making more margin and profit, I guess but more margin on your checkouts because you're not getting hit with 10% off every single checkout that because you're offering every, every single customer, basically 10% off. That's just one little example, but I wanted to get into just some, some questions for you, Nevin, you're the, you're, you're the guy living and breathing this stuff for our clients and talking about this all the time. I know it's a little bit more simplified because of uh, how Amazon heavy you are. I mean, Amazon makes this quite a bit easier for most people, but when you talk about metrics, I mean, do you have, specific metrics that are like you have to be measuring this at this at these certain points i know conversion is obviously the big one but that's the end metric i mean do, are there is there kind of a formula you you use or is it is it really just unique for every brand and based on what they sell and their audience i mean every brand is absolutely going to be unique and i think though that you can distill it down to specific measurements for different phases of sort of the the upper pieces of the funnel in the advertising in the sort of the advertising sphere 
you know, and, the, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to most marketers, but things like measuring impression share and CTR through sort of that awareness phase, measuring page, detail page views and conversion rate in that acquisition phase. Amazon, it's actually very funny that you bring up Amazon because Amazon has a really, really cool tool called Brand Metrics that allows you to, at least for the first three, the awareness, consideration, acquisition phase, it actually gives you anonymized metrics and ranks your company on, in your category, at least, on how they compare to, to other brands in the space. So it'll give you like the top 0.1 percentile, like the big dogs. It'll give you the medium brand and it'll give you where, where you're at. And that I find is obviously it's very vague, anonymized data. It's not like, you know, super granular, but I can, I find that it gives a really, really good kind of North star to kind of orient yourself to as far as where you need to improve. So Amazon, there's a lot of debate on how to generate awareness on Amazon because Amazon is a very, very transactional platform. We've seen a lot of really good results with video and sponsored brands. Sponsor display is, is tough. It's very, very specific, and the audience categories are a little bit looser. So it's definitely one that you want to measure on things like impression share, and you want to measure, you know, you want to be able to look at click through rate and detail page views from those sponsor display because it's really easy to lose a lot of money in sponsor display. But overall, the way that I like to build out a full funnel approach is to start at a core, you know, kind of start at the basics of search and sponsor products, you know, sponsor products or search and shopping campaigns on the Google side, sponsor products on the Amazon side, and make sure that you have an efficient foundation and then start building up. Basically, we'll start at the core of sponsor products, get some data early on, let things run just through search and through sponsor products auto. So their placements on the Amazon storefront. And then start finding those keywords that work and then implementing them into sponsored brands campaigns and then take the products that are working and then single those out into sponsored brands video campaigns and then just overall just start building a foundational layer over another foundational layer over another foundational layer until you're at the very top and then you can start to experiment with any extra wiggle room you have into doing a possibly inefficient but good brand generator, like a VCPM sponsored display campaign. That's the formula that I like to take into every brand. Obviously, the path that every brand is going to take along that journey is going to be different and every outcome is going to be unique. But that whole formula is how I've tried to run pretty much every client that comes through the door. And it can seem very glacial at times as far as like, it's a lot of, building something, measuring it, making sure that it's optimized and making sure it's completely right, then moving on to the next thing, optimizing that and then moving slowly on. But the results that we, you know, that I've seen from it, especially on Amazon, have been fantastic. You know, we're able to see large gains in revenue. And by the time we have, we've already trimmed the fat on the lower funnel campaigns. So the upper funnel campaigns are able to drive into the most efficient conversion generating apparatus that we can. I think it's a very, very similar thing on the dot-com side. The main thing with the dot-com side is that you're not in a walled garden and you have a lot more tools at your disposal. And because of that, you have to parse through a lot more data and you have to really kind of muddle through attribution because on the dot-com side where Facebook, 
TikTok, a lot of those social sites can be fantastic awareness generation campaigns. Display, in my opinion, like Trade Desk and DSP is the gold standard in awareness gen, just because there's so much data, there's so much audience, uh, there's so much audience configurability that you have with a display campaign. You know, honestly, that's why if you ever see like DSP specialists, they kind of have a little bit of a uh, an air of excellence about them because they're they're <laughs> working in a much they're working in a much more complex environment yeah. and there's so much more data to play with and it's you know you can absolutely set hundreds of thousands of dollars on fire or you can create one of the best awareness generation mechanisms on the market so i think that using dsp combined with social for that awareness generation mm-hmm. setting and then bookending that as well whatever you're doing on the top of the funnel you want to do at the very bottom of the funnel with remarketing to really drive that squeeze the sponge right uh, yeah, it's to me, it's a lot more of just making sure that nothing falls through and it's casting a very, very fine net at the end because the remarketing yeah. data and the remarketing purchases are gonna, always going to be your highest chance to convert because they've already gone through all the phases. They've already done the research. They are just the people who need that last little bit of a push. For me, I like to kind of consider, yeah, that display and social on the top end, that search, shopping, And even things like SMS in the center for that consideration. Consideration is, in my opinion, one of the hardest to navigate because there's a lot of variables in the consideration phase that you don't control. Yeah. When I was going to say that the the edges get blurry on consideration, like defining when a a customer or a prospect moves from awareness into consideration and then is a little bit easy because that's basically when they click on the ad and go to your website for the first time but then when they move from consideration like we said with the uh, with with the example about my mom you know she had mentally made the decision to purchase but she didn't do anything necessarily online to indicate that right that's just a decision she made so assigning behavior to when somebody moves out of consideration and into acquisition is really difficult. And I, you could spend years and years trying to fine tune that, that part of the funnel as to like, what is the actual mechanism by which we, we tell ourselves this person is at the end of the consideration phase and, and, in, and into the acquisition phase, really difficult to do that. But I mean, at the end of the day, you can measure them kind of simultaneously if you if you do it correctly. There there are different ways to do this, is what we're saying. Like, in fact, if you search the customer lifecycle or customer journey, if you just do a Google search for it, you'll you'll get twenty different versions of this, right? With different names of the in the of the parts of the funnel and different definitions for them. By and large, though, the kind of industry accepted one is really what kind of what we're talking about here, which can fit just about anything. But I wanted to wrap up. We're going to make this into a series. I think we're going to talk about each part. Okay, absolutely. Because there's there's a, so much to talk about in here. Because like there, there is. It is what we're really talking about here is the actual essence of how to put together a functional marketing apparatus, and that goes all the way through advertising. That goes all the way through customer experience and customer success, and it goes all the way into loyalty generation at the end. And this is really kind of I guess the fundamentals that we want to impart on you know the audience because. It, if you don't have your, you can have like the best crack team to figure out the algorithm and crack the code of like your SEO or your advertising and you can generate all the traffic in the world. But all at the end of the day, if you're not completely aligned across the entire funnel and you're not pushing the investment into each individual stage of this funnel, you will fail. 
it might take a second, yeah. but you will eventually inevitably fail. If you're not completely aligned as a, as a brand across all steps of the customer journey and are working consistently to optimize each uh, each individual step, so this is why I think we got a, we think we got a series on our hands. I think we got an arc on our hands, Mike. Yeah, I love it. We'll, we'll talk about each individual one. Maybe bring a couple of other folks on guests that that may be appropriate. I think Lee would love to come on and talk about service and loyalty, but we'll, we'll see how <laughs> it goes. This just in conclusion here. A, if you're if you're if you're made it this far, weekender. Warrior, we love you. Absolute legend. Thanks for sticking out to the end. But it, what we're talking about here, if you if this all sounds bad, if this all sounds weird to you and you're not measuring and you're, you've never thought of the customer lifecycle journey and you're, and you're running a D2C website, for the love of God, <laughs> start doing it. You, you, you are so far behind. You need to be doing this. And, and if you need uh, an agency to come on board to get you set up, go do that. But whatever it takes, because this is really where the, the bread is buttered in e-commerce is, is measuring and getting really good at this customer journey. And at the end of the day, you, you know, you want to imagine yourself kind of when you're thinking about the customer journey, imagine yourself as if you were a little invisible concierge, right? That can follow your customers around wherever they go on the, on the internet, but especially on your website. And you want to start anticipating what they may need, right? Just like you would if you were in a, like if you were in a store, and you talk to a representative in a store, they're going to know because they hear it all the time. They're going to know the questions you're going to ask. They're going to anticipate, you know, your reservations about the product. They're going to, they're going to get ahead of those things. Anyone who's ever tried to buy a car knows exactly what I'm talking about, but you want to try to do that for your online, for your online uh, shoppers. And, you know, that could be stuff like, you know, additional specs. Maybe they need additional specs or inf information about the product. Maybe they need a technical document at a certain point. Maybe they, maybe you need better or more reviews, or maybe they need to be more visible. All of these types of things. Anticipate when is the most appropriate time for people to see those pieces of information, and make sure that you're serving them along the journey. Measure it, and then improve. That's the that's the the main the main thing, at least for the first three buckets, right? And, and then service and loyalty is a little bit different, but we'll, we'll talk about those when we get to it. But I love the way you put it, Nevin. You got to you got to lubricate reduce as much friction as possible in your customer journey. That's a hell of a way to put it, but yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, again, thank you. Thank you to the weekenders. We're available wherever you get your podcast, visit finch.com forward slash podcast for more content. Engage with us on Twitter at Finch underscore PPC and on Facebook, Finch.ecommerce. We're obviously also on LinkedIn. Just for search for Finch connect with, with Nevin and I until next time. I'm Mike Martis and I'm Nevin Zavell. We will see you next weekend. I'll catch you next Friday.